How many of you guys feel like that after Black Friday? Come on, jeez Louise. Hey, if you're new with us, my name is Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here and very excited about having you here after Thanksgiving. Everybody nice and tired and full, got all those calories. We need to do some yoga or something, like just get some stretching. You got your stretchy pants on like Nacho Libre. Man has to wear stretchy pants. Um, real men wear stretchy pants. I've got my uh, Sunday fun day socks on because I'm excited about being here with you. So there. Um, it's going to be a good day. We've got uh, continuing our series today called Wait What? And if you're new with us, we've been talking about the scripture and really the story of the Bible and some of the things that have come up to where we go, wait, what? And I think if you really read the Bible and the scripture for what it is, hopefully you do read it. If you don't, I'm going to enlighten you today. There's a lot of wait what moments. There's a lot of times where you're going, I I need to think about this. I need to chew on this. And there's a reason why Scripture talks about meditating on it, chewing on it, and really thinking about it because it's trying to give us a worldview, a picture of our world in order to create images and understanding so when we're facing problems or facing anxiety or facing depression or just facing family, we have a greater narrative, a bigger narrative than just our little story that's helping us see and overcome and move forward. That's what really this series is all about. And some of the things we need to see, I think, is what's going on behind the scenes. How many of you guys know every time Apple comes out with a new phone, your phone gets slower, like they like press this no-no button and they're like, it, 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 this phone will self-destruct in 10 seconds or something and all of a sudden everything's bogged down, doesn't work. But if you actually take it to somebody that knows what they're doing because behind the scenes, there's a lot going on with your phone or your computer. When you take it to somebody, they say, well, here's the virus or here's what's going on or somebody's hacked in here and here's what's going on and they could clean it up and all of a sudden it's working better and it's working right. And you know, I think scripture does this for us. We go, wait, there's more going on. And we're going, why do I feel like, like I'm just trudging through the mud instead of experiencing some of the things that I see within scripture or a life of godliness, what is going on? And the scripture would say, there's a lot going on you don't understand. And not just live and just let live, but maybe God's going, I've got some things for you to battle and conquer and overcome not just be subject to. And that's what I'm gonna talk about today because I think our world is obsessed with the supernatural. I mean, from movies, television, songs. I mean, we've got everything from like the next like ghost witch hunt thing going on all the way to superheroes conquering the earth because we have in us this desire like something needs to be on the ordinary, something extraordinary, extraordinary. And I want to see that in my life. And so I'm going to vicariously live through the television or through the screen or through this book or whatever it is because we know there's more going on and there's more in life. And I would say the scripture has that answer. What's sad for me is the church, oftentimes, we don't talk about this or discuss this in the supernatural realm, and yet this is our dojo, man. We live here. Fear, doubt, frustration, an enemy, a war does not exist in this dojo, does it? No sensei, karate kid. Come on, guys. It should not exist in our lives 
although it comes at us, there is an empowerment that we need to see within Scripture that we can be overcomers and we can be victors. And yet this obsession with the supernatural and, and, and we easily just preach you a message of be really nice and be really good. And yet, that's a good thing. It's not the only thing. I got an article by one of our members, Karen, sent me this article. And uh, she said she has a lot of friends that are involved in witchcraft and other things going on right now, even in Houston. And she sent me this article from The Atlantic in the article, it's titled, The Witches of Baltimore, Young Black Women Are Leaving Christianity and Embracing African Witchcraft in Digital Covens. There's a longing for more. I mean, check out what just a little bit of this excerpt from the article says this. This is a quote from them. We may not be Christian here, but we still pray, said a woman dressed entirely in white as she addressed a large audience of African-American women. Standing behind a lectern, speaking in the cadences of a preacher, she added, I understand God more now doing what I'm doing than I ever did in church. The call and response that followed, no one's going to protect us but who? Us. Was reminiscent of church, but this was no traditional sermon. The speaker, Iowa, Orisa Omitola, was giving the keynote address last month at the third annual Black Witch Convention, which brought together some 200 women in a Baltimore reception hall. The small but growing community points to the hundreds of young black women who are leaving Christianity in favor of their ancestors' African spiritual traditions and finding a sense of power in the process. I think people are looking for something more than just a nice sermon and three poems to make it through the week. I think people are looking for more. And I think we have that. I think Christianity, true Christianity, biblical Christianity, offers a grander narrative, a greater picture of what's really going on. And I want to paint that picture a little bit, give a little bit of what we've been talking about to remind you of where we are, and then move forward with what I feel like the Lord wants to do today. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12 is kind of our theme verse. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. That's what this is. That's what Ephesians is. And he's writing and he closes by saying this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, what we see in the people in front of us. That's not our fight. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We've, we've been trying to construct this worldview, this understanding from a biblical narrative of what the Bible is saying from beginning to end and what God came to do. He started in Genesis, and, and what you gotta do is kind of put yourself in like a, a Hebrew mentality. And a Hebrew mentality would be reading the book of Genesis and seeing this. 
God created the heavens and the earth. And the word there in Hebrew for them would be Elohim, which is a word, honestly, it doesn't mean, we say God, but it really means gods. It's a plurality. And so there's this idea that there's a spiritual world and all these divinities, all these gods. And, and there's this one God that stands above all of them that creates all of everything. And, and if you're a Hebrew, you would read that and go, okay, who is this God? This is a big God. This is, this is a lot. Who is this guy? Like, I know of these gods, and we worship this God and bow to this God, but who is this God he created? And then chapter 2, it calls him Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh God, like the God of all gods. In other scriptures, it would call him the Most High. And we see that he creates you and me, he creates humanity, he creates us good, And he creates us with desire and with a gift package in us in order to multiply and use our giftings and create more glory ultimately for him. But he wants to share in that gift. So he gives Earl free will and says, Earl, I'm not going to make you worship me, but you could choose to worship me. Look how great I am and do what I'm asking you to do. And Earl, I love Earl, but Earl says, bro, I'd rather do this. And this is what we call in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Now, not only do we have a fall then of man where where men decided, humanity decided, I don't want to go your way, I'm going to go my way, okay? I'm going to do my own thing. And thus sin is ushered into the world. Also, we see in the scripture, there is this cosmic fall. As we looked at a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 6 and 11. And we see these sons of God falling and say, we're going to do things our way and not do things your way. And we see God ultimately going to come down and give judgment to all the nations. You understand there's a grand narrative, a picture that's coming. So much so, people didn't even really know about Yahweh God anymore, the most high. They knew of other gods and worshiped other gods later. Let's, let's look at how this happened. Psalm 82, just a quick recap, because we got to move. God, this is Elohim, Yahweh, the most high, has taken his place in the divine council. There's spiritual beings in the midst of the gods, lowercase g, a supernatural hierarchy that are spirits that are different than us. It says God ultimately holds judgment. And here's what he says to these gods. Look at this. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? He's telling them, you're not doing right. He says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Saying, do as you're supposed to do and be righteous. Look at the next verse, verse 5. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And now he pronounces judgment. I said, you are gods, sons of the most high. All of you, nevertheless, he's not talking to men. He's saying, like men, you're going to die. You're going to fall like any prince. He's talking to these gods. Because you're not justly governing the world as I have given you the authority to do, I'm going to judge you. And then this word, arise, O God. That word actually is the same word as resurrect, resurrection. Resurrect God and judge the earth. 
for you shall inherit all the nations. This is pointing to what Jesus is going to do and resurrect and take over. You understand what is going on. There's a bigger picture the scripture is trying to show you that there's a fall of man. There's a fall of these gods. And God ultimately gave them to their own passions and gave them other nations but took up for himself his own nation. Let me give you a quick review in this pyramid of what we've been talking about, how the Bible describes this, is that there is Yahweh God, the creator God, the most high, higher than anybody, and not high like, but higher, better, greater. And then sons of God, which is a better way, maybe spiritual beings would be a way to see that, Deuteronomy 32, or princes uh, in, in Daniel 10. These aren't people, these aren't men, these are spirits. If you don't understand this, or maybe you go, man, you, you crazy, you Christians are crazy. Or maybe you're a Christian, you go, man, that dude's nuts up there. Well, remember, you believe in a God that resurrected, walked on water, fed 5,000, healed the sick. Like, you believe in supernatural, you just use it in your own way. I want to believe this part, but I don't want to look at the whole Bible, believe it. You need to look at the big picture of what's going on. We have uh, Malachim, or Malachim, which is angels. And an angel is not a big fat baby with wings. Or if like an angel came to you, it wouldn't have these wings and like freak you out, right? <sighs> right, it wouldn't do that. Like it would look like one of us. Every time you see the scripture, angels do not have wings. That's Hollywood, that's ridiculous. There are no wings, winged creatures with angels. There are winged creatures, but they're not angels. Angels is just a, it's not a, it's not a being, it's a descriptor of what these beings do. And that's they give the message of God. There's angels of light, angels of darkness, those that give message from God, those that give message from the evil one, the adversary. And so we have to get a bigger picture of what's going on. And I'm going to tell you, I promise right now you're going, well, I don't care about this. Like, I'm tired and I need some more turkey. I promise this is relevant because I'm trying to show you the big picture of what's going on. Deuteronomy 32. We talked about this a few weeks ago, so just quick recap. Moses is talking to Israelites, and he says this, when the Most High, it says Yahweh Elohim, the God, the creator God, gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, well, last a couple weeks ago we showed, he divided mankind in Genesis chapter 11, when they created this Tower of Babel, and then he dispersed them across the world with different languages and different tongues. Here's what it's referring to. It says, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. In other words, he said, you as a spiritual entity, you rule that providence, you rule that providence, you rule that providence. And he says, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He says, listen, it's like a, it's like a fixed football game. He's going, listen, you can have you know, all of the greatest players of all time. That's fine. I'm going to take this one dude. I'm going to take this one person. And we'll see who's boss. He says, I'm going to give you authority over all, but these are my portion. This is my people. You ever been that kid in PE who got picked last in, in, in kickball? You know that? You know that? Anybody remember? You're just sitting there like, oh, man, 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 really last? And then you get picked. That's kind of what God's doing. You take all them, I'm going to take this dude. Watch what happens. See, this starts to make sense now if you go to Exodus. A lot of us know the Exodus story. Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says, hey, man, let my people go. And he says, who are you? Who are you what name are you coming in? He says, well, this God, he called himself I am. 
Yahweh, he said, he said, these are my people. These are my portion. Let them go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know who this God is. I know I've got this God and I've got this God and this God. And Moses throws his staff down. If you've ever read this, really cool story. He throws his staff down and it becomes a serpent, which is Hebrew seraphim. It's a whole nother thing. Um, it becomes a serpent. And here's the crazy part. If you've never, if you just, if you don't read the Bible and go, wait, what? Every once in a while, you ain't reading the Bible. The sorcerers around Pharaoh throws their staff down and theirs become serpents too. Because see, they have gods that they worship as well. And those gods practice divinity, do things. The occult, witchcraft, that's real stuff. And you see it in scripture. Oh my gosh, their staff became a snake. But what happens? Moses' staff eats all those snakes. Because what is God saying? I'm God. You ain't nothing. And you see this throughout scripture. In Psalms, it'll say things like, you have no rivals. It's not talking about like there's these fake gods. There are real gods that have fallen and God's saying, you ain't nothing compared to those guys. And he's saying, I'm gonna use these little Israelite people and I'm gonna show you. And ultimately, I'm gonna come down myself and fulfill through the seed of these people. I'm gonna crush the head of Satan like I told you in Genesis 3. And I'm going to overcome what the enemy has stolen from my people. And I'm going to take back the nations and not let you rule anymore because I will arise, resurrect, and take over. This is the story of the Bible, which makes sense because if you read the New Testament and you see Jesus shows up, and you have people like demon-possessed coming out and going, hey, it's not our time yet. What are you doing? You're not supposed to come here yet. If you don't have a supernatural worldview, what are you thinking about when you're reading these things? You don't understand what's going on. You're just going, okay, those people are crazy. That person's really like schizophrenic probably. We would give them this scientific thing, although we can't cure anybody, it seems. But Jesus, with a word, they scream and leave, and they're left with their senses again. And whole, and he restores people. And so much so, people are going, man, he, he's got to be a, 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 of the devil. Because only the, the devil is like, like tricking us. And he says, why would the devil cast out the devil? He would destroy his own kingdom. And he says, you know the kingdom of God is among you if you see people set free and demons cast out. Because I've come to do more than just get you through the door and get you to heaven. I've come to set you free and bring and restore back what the enemy ripped away from you. And see, we as a people need to see this and see the grand narrative of what Jesus has done. Because it will get you off of your seat and into the game. It'll get you moving forward instead of moving backwards. This is the grand narrative of the scripture that we see. And you read with this understanding, you go, wow, Jesus. Wait, what? Matthew 28, I think it culminates here. One of the last things Jesus says to his disciples. It says, now the 11 disciples, because the 12th, Betrayed Jesus, killed himself. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I love this. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. They're like, this resurrected Jesus. This is after he died. They, they were downhearted, distraught, didn't know what was going on. He resurrects in their sight. A lot of them doubted, but then believed again. I love this. It said some of them worshiped, but some doubted. Some goes, I don't know. 
I love that in the scripture. But if it wasn't, if it wasn't true and accurate historical account, you wouldn't want to put that. You wouldn't want to say, some people doubt it. But I love it. Because that happens. If you saw a miracle today, some of you go, man, that's amazing. Some of you go, uh, I don't know. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if you don't stop and go, wait, what? You're reading the Bible wrong. You need to go, what? Okay, I believe Jesus is God, like he's resurrected. He forgave people. Only God can forgive somebody from something that they didn't do against them. Only God can forgive sins ultimately. What is happening? Okay, I believe this Jesus is a Lord, liar, lunatic. I'm all in. He's Lord. Okay, he says, I've been given authority. Okay, if you're God, when did you lose authority? Aren't you God? Don't you think about this stuff when you read scripture? What, how does God lose authority? What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you know that thing you lost because I gave you authority as man to multiply, to increase, to build the Garden of Eden and all of creation. You know that mandate I gave you, that duty, not you're going to go to heaven and just like have fat babies flying around your head. Maybe get some wings every once in a while, have some grapes and just sing all day. Some of you guys, that's torture. Like, hallelujah, like a million years, hallelujah. Like, God, that is not what heaven is described like in the Bible. You will continue to grow, you will continue to conquer, you will continue to cultivate and multiply and use your gifts and craft them even greater. You have no idea without the limitations that you have now. And he says, you know what? Y'all messed it up. I came as God to fix it. Now I've got that authority and I'm giving it back to you because I came not just as God, but as man, the new Adam, the one that fell, that busted everything up. I'm bringing that back, and now I'm calling you to higher heights. Now the thing that the enemy has stolen and ripped and chained you in, let's go. It's over. And watch how militant this is. I mean, this isn't like, just be really nice, guys. Like, love your neighbor. Yes, do that. But there's also this, I've come with power, too. Like, I've got passion, I've got empathy, I've got compassion, but I've got some power behind this. He says, I've been given authority in heaven and on earth. What is he saying? I gave authority away, I arose in resurrection, taking it back nation by nation. And I'm going to use you and you and you and you and you because now Jesus is sitting on a throne. And he says, my spirit in you, you go now. Look what he says, go. And say, sit down. That's what the Lord told me this week as I was preparing this message. He said, I didn't die on the cross so you could sit on the couch. Get up, go. That's my mandate, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. What is he saying? I'm taking those nations back, man. They're mine. These people belong to me. These people are mine. 
and what the enemy has done, I'm not taking it anymore. And I'm not just going to do it by myself like, God, you're sovereign. You do it. Yes, but listen, he wants to use you. He could do it with a snap of his fingers like Thanos. I mean, he could do it in a moment, take out all evil. It's not hard for him. But he says, that's not how I've chosen to do it. I want to use these people. And I want to show all of creation that my way is the right way. And listen, we don't come by force against flesh, blood. This isn't militant in a physical way. But our force comes in loving, serving, deliverance, freedom of captives, miracles, words, speaking. But offering our life even unto death because I have something so much stronger in me that you need in you. Not just self preservation, but God restoration. What God wants to do and what he's done in me, he wants to do in you. Look what he says. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, immersing them. That's what he means. In the name of the Father, who the Father is, in the name of the Son, who the Son is, the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now let's get practical. Here's the grand narrative, the big picture, and what Jesus came back to do and restore. But the enemy wants to hold you and keep you in this mindset of victimhood. So I want to close today by talking about four different areas of being a victim or a victor. Because all of this culminates into a Jesus that says, I've called you to victory, not to victimhood. Here's the thing about victimhood, though. Number one, it gets attention and it gets validation. Like, all of us in this room, and I'm not discrediting anything, we all have a story and if you're new here, if you don't even believe in Jesus, you have a story, man. You've got trauma. You've got struggles. You've got things that have gone on in your life right now that you, you might not even realize are hindering you. Some of them you know are hindering you or holding you back. And here's the deal. You're right. It hurts. And it's horrible. And, it, and you can have people come alongside you and say, Sarah, I know I can't believe that happened to you. And I think you should. We should validate people's feelings in some ways. But listen, you stay in that because it feels good to get that attention. You will never overcome it. You will always be stuck in the sludge of life and people will come around you and say, it's okay. That's just how it is. And see, I don't think that's the message of the gospel. Jesus, full of compassion, yes, come near to me, draw near to me. But then he says, you get close, I'm going to come in like a scalpel and take care of that stuff because it's killing you. And it's not what I've created you to ultimately be. I will love you and care for you and have compassion for you and take you as you are, but you will not stay the same because the more you're around me, the more you're going to become like me. And I took it, but I conquered it. That's what God, but see, the enemy wants to get you in this mindset, this what's called a stronghold, which is simply a house built on thoughts and this thought pattern of, yeah, man, anytime you could just kind of pull out this boom, 
this is what happened to me in my life. And everybody goes, man, I'm so sorry. And man, let's start there. I'm not saying don't do that. But God forbid we end there. Never end with death. Jesus has the resurrection and resurrection power. A victim mentality, therefore, then doesn't have to take any risks. You can just feel like a victim and not ever take action. Oh, man, oh, I'm struggling. This is bad. This is bad. This has happened to me. This, is, this, this sucks. My life is this and da, da, da. And people just, yeah, you know, they don't expect anything out of you. And yet God's saying, okay, great. Get off the couch. Get moving. I've got something for you. My victory is now your victory. You understand I'm breaking these things. And by faith, you too can step up and conquer it. Because I did it not just for me, but for you ultimately. I got the keys back. Quit talking about your enemies and start taking life like you got the keys. Like I've got something to offer and to give. And I've got scars, but man, I'm going to use those scars to move forward. See, a victim mentality doesn't have to then take responsibility for anything. Because everybody, yeah, I know, man, that happened to you. That's horrible. And yet at some point, You've got to step up and take responsibility. It's like this delayed adolescent thing going on right now where dudes are just like staying at home forever and not getting jobs and playing video games all day. And I'm telling you, it's like you got to get up and get out of here. You got to get moving because you are stifling your own growth. You're stifling because you're afraid ultimately to take responsibility. And yet it's the responsibility that will empower you to do what God's called you to do. And so the enemy says, no, you, you know, you're good. You don't need that. And, but you want the benefits of life and adulthood without the struggle, without the push, without the pain. And God says, no, no, no. You need to take responsibility. One of our themes in our church is being Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. When you are centered on Christ and the spirit empowers you, you will take responsibility for society and what's going on. Instead of sitting back and just saying, well... And even some Christians, well, God's sovereign. He's got it. He's in control. And God's going, yeah, I did it. Go join me. Come on. A mentality, victimhood, feels right, which feels good. You get enough people to validate you, man, yeah, you you know, just, just lay in that. Just hang out. I know that was real. I can't imagine what you've been through. And again, on one hand, that's true, but don't stay there because what happens is that feels right, like you chew on that. Man, it feels good to feel right. You ever fight with your spouse and you like lay down like this line, like boom, and you killed her. I mean, it was like, it was like burnt, like you're done. Like I won that argument, but you lost the person. But man, you feel right. Like you are, you know you're right. So you feel good. Man, the victimhood will get you there. And I'm, I'm right to feel this way. It feels good to feel right. And the enemy will hold you down. You know, for me, it's easy to slip into this. Man, I can't tell you in this past two, three years, how many times from a contractor, architect, you know, worker, um, church member, pastor, that said, I've never heard that happening before. I've been doing contract work for 25 years. I've never heard the city do this. I can't tell you, I, I, like, I feel like I can write a book called Unprecedented because I've heard that so many times. That's unprecedented. I just I ain't never heard of that. And after a while, you could just go, dadgummit. 
I, I can't, I'm telling you, I can't tell how many times I've heard it over the past few years. And it could get to you where you're just like, I don't even want to try anything. Like, I don't want to do anything. I just feel like I try and I get beat down. And the Lord had to finally speak to me. It finally waked me up and say, listen, I'm not doing this against you. I'm doing it for you because I'm trying to create some muscle and some callus in you to learn how to fight. If you ever watch, I know that the new Creed movie, Creed 2 has come out and the trailer and, and, and it's ultimately, you know, all these Rocky movies are the same. Like he gets the junk beat out of him and he can't talk and he's hurting and and, but something rises up and, dun, 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 you know, the eye of the tire comes out. But he had to go through that pain in order to be able to beat this huge enemy. Because there are giants out there to kill you. And so God says, I'm going to let you go through some things, but I'm trying to get you to fight, not to lay down. I'm trying to work a fight in you and a faith in you because you say, He's got the keys. He's given them to me to defeat my enemies. A victor, ultimately, four things, takes responsibility for self. I think it's easy to go, God's sovereign, God's in control, so I'm just going to take everything God gives me. And again, I think God's saying, no, no, listen. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, you're co-workers with me. Like, I'm not just wanting to do it. I can do it. That's not hard for me. I want to use you. I want you to get my spirit. I want you to go conquer some things. So I'm creating something in you. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 says this. This is a paraphrase. He says this. Everything that goes into life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one, Jesus, who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received we were also given absolute, ter absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turn your back on a world corrupted by lust. He's saying, listen, you're co-workers with God. God's got a plan for you and he's given you everything you need. You have all the tools. Don't sit on it. Then go to a cross for you to sit on a couch. You might have a cross, but every cross has a resurrection. You might have struggled, but don't think it's over. Death can't hold him down. It's not going to hold you down. Whether it's your, your visions, your passion, something has crushed your spirit, God says you're in the perfect place because now my power can work in you. A victor spirit instead of a victim spirit gives gratitude. I think the best way to give gratitude in life, especially thinking about Thanksgiving, is, is ask yourself this question. Does someone else on this planet have it worse than me? And if you're living in America, the answer is yes. But that helps get you from this like narrow, myopic, woe is me, into going, man, I have so many things to be thankful for, and I'm just focused on these one or two really hard things. And yes, they're hard, but there's so many other things to be thankful for, to get out of this mentality. I think God also wants you to ask this question, what is the hidden opportunity in this situation God is trying to show or form in me? Hebrews 12 says this, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Like, bro, get up. 
Walk it off. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. A victor gives gratitude even in the midst of pain. Victor, this is a big one, forgives. Matthew 6, 12 says, Jesus' prayer, give us, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I like to say forgiven people, forgive people. I've been forgiven by so much, how can I not forgive even the most heinous of crimes? that are done to me. Catherine Ponder says this, when you hold resentment toward another, you are bound to that person or condition by an emotional link that is stronger than steel. Forgiveness is the only way to dissolve that link and get free. A victor, finally, turns their focus outward with this question, how can I give value to someone right now? I don't know about you, but every, every once in a while we have these Every Nation conferences or even cluster meetings that we do with other pastors. And it's easy, you walk into a room and, you, and especially when you're new to the room, you ever gone to a convention or a meeting or something, you're new to the room and you see the people that kind of work the room and they get to the like head guy and they're like, oh, you know, doing their thing. And you're just sitting there like, man, those people, maybe you're one of those people and other people are shaking their head at you. You're just like, but, but it's easy to get that victim and tell, oh, nobody cares about me. Nobody's thinking about me. Oh, I'm just in Houston. Like our sports teams are bad. And uh, man, it's really humid. And, like it's easy just to kind of feel sorry for yourself and be down on yourself. And just be, oh, it, it, it said, and I was, I was doing that at one of these conferences a couple years ago. And the Lord said, hey, look up. And I started noticing other people that I could tell felt the same way. He said, go encourage that guy. How can you bring value to someone else? instead of, why doesn't no one bring value to me? Proverbs says, if you want a friend, be a friend. The reason why you don't have friends is you're not friendly. Go give value to someone else and I guarantee you will have friends because people will say, man, that person cares about me. They're authentic. They're not just trying to woo me or work the room. They care about where I am. Changes your mindset and it focuses you outward. And Jesus ultimately says, listen, you need to get your mind focused beyond yourself. That's why I say go. Go. As you go, I'm going to deal with your stuff. But man, I need you to climb into some other people's deserts. Because there's things you're not going to get rid of in your own deserts in your life until you get in someone else's. This victory mentality comes from a mindset that Jesus paid the price. I love Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I love that it calls God's throne grace, not this throne of judgment and callousness. He says, God's sitting on a throne of grace. Man, I need outward thinking. Thank you, God, for your grace in my life. Now help me to help others. Man, I think God loves the prayer. God, help me to help others. Not just to get more helpings for myself, but to get the helper to encourage someone else.
victor mentality that gets this pulls out of that victim mentality. I was reading a book and I'm closing here by Irwin McMahon. It's called The Artisan Soul. Really great book. I highly recommend it. And in the book, he was mentioning a friend of his that he played basketball with and they have a basketball team. And Irwin's kind of kind of a shorter guy um, and his friend is like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, and he's about anywhere four to six inches taller than anybody else on the court and yet he he wasn't shooting the ball he would pass it to him and he would pass it back and and finally he pulled him aside and he said come on man you got to shoot the ball and he's like, i don't have any open shots and and Irwin's like bro you're like four six inches taller than everybody else every shot is an open shot for you like when you're short you have lms little man syndrome and it's hard you're like see brando and you're like man it's not even fair man. victim mentality and he's looking at him, he's going bro what are you doing? And, and the guy told him, man, I grew up, my brothers are like 6'10", so I always had to play small ball, shooting the perimeters, so I don't know how to play ball like this on the post. And listen, it wasn't his physical stature in truth and reality. It was his mindset keeping him from understanding what he was capable and built and gifted to do. And how many of us are in that place, even right now, even today, you're in that place where God's saying, you are six, seven, quit playing small ball. You have more to offer. You can conquer more. And this isn't self-help. This is God help. And I have so much more for you, but your mind has you down here and I've got the world for you to conquer. And I've got nations for you to go to. And I've got dreams to restore to you. Even though that was crushed, maybe I'm resurrecting something brand new and fortifying you for it. Quit thinking small. Let's get large. Let's get bigger. Let's get off the couch in our own life. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm gonna ask our one-to-one -one team to come up. worship team's going to come and we're going to sing this my hope is in you it's a declaration of faith but my, my passion and my prayer is today even come on our one to one team as they come up some of our staff as they come up we want to pray for you maybe you have this mentality right now that you're struggling with and I get it I get it but God's saying whatever is not a faith is sin trust me I'm building something in you and I've got things for you to conquer with my help. Stop sitting on my spirit when I've given it to you to move forward. Some of you guys that might be with your health, some of you guys that might just be with your mentality, maybe it's to restore some of your dreams and the things God has put in your heart. I wanna break that today through prayer. And ultimately the best way to break it is through worship. God, my hope is in you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to receive from you victory. And not just a positive mentality, but a full of faith mentality. What you did matters so much more than we even realize. Break these bondages in our life. Restore hope in Jesus' name.